This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. And if you tell beer fans in the greater New York City area, where I happen to live, that you're headed north, they will probably ask you if you're hitting Suarez. That being the Suarez Family Brewery, a celebrated spot in the Hudson Valley that is owned by Dan Suarez, his wife Taylor. And Dan is sitting across from me right now. Hey, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having us here on a day when you're closed. We're here in your light-struck which I know is not necessarily a great word to use for some of the beers that you're making. I, I like but, light uh, drenched. Light drenched, light dappled <laughs> uh, brewery. These, these great uh, uh, great bay windows almost looking out onto cornfields up here in this, uh, this, yeah. this beautiful farm country in sort of upstate New York, as it were. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of good natural light in this brewery, which even in the back, in the production space, it's got these big old factory windows and... Uh, pretty rare in a production brewery setting to have uh, to have natural light so actually most of the time you're brewing uh, at the end of the day like you'll get some nice rays coming in and uh, it'll kind of lift your spirits up and so old factory uh, this was they made lamps here for a while and then before that it was a tractor factory showroom yep Yep, it's, uh, it was built in the 30s, uh, and it was an Oshkosh uh, tractor dealership. It's kind of like the sister or satellite dealership uh, for a bigger one in Albany. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, it functioned as a lamp factory, um, making custom lamps out of like some pretty atypical materials. Um, like for example, if you could, I don't know, if you were in, if you were a judge, like for your retirement party, you could get a custom-made lamp, like with like a gavel and uh, some books <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, we actually before this we is st- different than like sticking a, a light bulb and some wire into a growler and, uh, yes. and selling it that way. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> We, you can find a bunch of them on eBay, and we were like, "Oh, let's let's get some." But before we opened the brewery here, and then we found a ton on eBay, and they're all like fifteen hundred bucks, and they're not really that cool. So, uh, we just decided to uh, spend money on other things. Fifteen hundred dollar lamps for a brewery startup is not necessarily yes. what's going to be in yes. your costs, unless you know. I was like, maybe we could get it for like a hundred bucks, or but, yeah. But. <laughs> Apparently, there's a big, fo- a big aftermarket following for them. Do you get people still walking in here looking to buy lamps, and then you try to sell them Pilsner instead? Uh, no, but we we get a lot of people who used to work here. Yeah, uh, and like a guy in the uh, like installing our internet, you know, on the internet on like the for the uh, telephone company, he was like, oh, like I used to work here, and you know, you hear some good stories. So every once in a while, somebody will walk in here and. They'll have uh, some good stories about this building. The drunken holiday parties. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. You know. I don't know. So, I wonder what the holiday parties were like there. So the thing that I I I, I, I am fortunate to visit a lot of breweries and mm-hmm. to, to to hang out at places. And one of the things that I'm always struck with is when a brewery tasting room, the forward facing um, 
aspect of a brewery matches the beers that are being made. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't happen nearly as much as I would think, because sometimes tasting rooms are afterthoughts or, hey, they're, they're a representation of our personalities and the personalities of the brewers, but not necessarily of the beers. Yeah. And this is my first visit here, but not the first time that I've had your beers. Mm -hmm. And I was immediately struck that the two really sort of go hand in hand. It's a, it's yeah. a clean space. Uh, it's a bright space. It's an inviting space. It doesn't have anything to hide. Yeah, it's pretty simple, too. I mean, it's just like whitewashed, clean lines. Yeah, um, which which you know speaks to a, a lot of the beers that you make as well, especially mm -hmm. the, the, the lagers that, that, that you're known for. And I, and I want to get to those in a minute. But what inspires you when it comes to beer? Mm, like, how, like, how did all this come together? Like, what was the inspiration that like, went to this sort of personification that we're sitting in uh, uh, with these beers that are in front of us now? Um, man, that's a big question. Um, we got time. I mean, your phone's going to ring again, yeah. but we got time. Yeah, let me turn that off. <laughs> um, what inspired this? Basically, so I've been brewing commercially for about a decade and homebrewing even longer than that. And, you know, I went through in about in like when I first started working at Six Point, they just got this. Uh, this is in 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, they just got this like pilot system. And I brewed a lot of beer on that. Lots of experimental stuff, you know, just like getting pretty experimental, uh, you know, 100% bread fermentations. Uh, it's funny, a lot of these things aren't really experimental anymore, like a lot of Goza. Uh, but I feel like my mind, where my head's at lately, like the past five years, has been to try to brush up on technique and process. And, you know, like if you asked me 10 years ago, uh, I would, I would, I would have said, oh, it's, I'm an artist. I'm, I'm, I'm making art. It's very creative endeavor. It's all this, you know, trying to make something that no one's ever made before, yada, yada. But actually now I'm actually, I want to make the simplest beer possible. And it's all about uh, technique and process. And I consider myself more of like a craftsman, kind of liken it to making a, being a furniture maker, a woodworker. Like I'm making... Uh, uh, a kitchen table and I'll make one I'll say alright I'm, I'm satisfied with this I'll sell it and then I say alright I want to make another one of those kitchen tables but this time I'm going to round the edges off I'm going to taper the legs I'm going to maybe put like some kind of different color stripe down the center um, and that, but that's artistic as well though it is but I find it's it's more it is to me but I think to like the consumer it's not so, like, I find there's, oh, let's, uh, you know, uh, add twice as much oxygen to this one and change the pitch rate or whatever, or let's change the way we, we uh, treat this beer in the cellar, just like time, you know, time frame wise. And that's very exciting to me nowadays because with these subtle beers, at least I'm able to, like, really taste a profound difference sometimes and... And I think that's like the height of the the height of the of the brewing kind of endeavor is kind of these small tweaks and like chipping away at it and trying to better trying to make a more quality beer by just doing these small tweaks and uh, like, so like walk walk me through with one of the beers that 
you've done small tweaks with, like where it started and where it is right now, and what to, what what led to you at each iteration to make another tweak? Like for example, our qualify pills, it's like a slightly hop. We call it hop accented pills. It's not. Um, it's kind of brewed to be slightly fuller bodied pills, but then also it has a nice bitterness to match. Like it's got some maltiness and a lot of like hop aromatics uh, that are kind of matched. But that beer is still a little bit of a I call them playground beers. Uh, we I try to. Whereas Palatine, our other pills, it's less of a playground beer, uh, only because I think I'm more happy with with how Palatine is. But for example, we'll on qualify pills, we'll tweak something basically every time we brew it. Sometimes I'll brew it to a lower gravity because I want more crispness, and then sometimes and then the next batch, oh, you know, I know I like it a little bit. Let's bring the gravity, the starting gravity up again. Oh, let's um, let's reduce the bittering hops. Let's so I don't know. It's it's just an ongoing thing. It's very a normal part, and I don't think the consumer, maybe the consumer, can taste the difference. Well, that's what but, I was going to ask though, yeah. because I, I mean, so many people live and die by uh, consistency where. You know the untapped ratings matter. Yeah. You know, which yeah. I, I don't know if they do. I don't necessarily think that they I do. I think it's a good. Like, I think it's like a decent barometer. Yeah. But like, but if you're if you're changing that much, you know, can is it tough for the consumer drinking it today to get an accurate barometer of of what it is if they're reading reviews based on last month? Um. And does that? I, I, it doesn't seem to concern you all that much. No, I. I mean, I happen to think like our lagers and our pale ales are pretty consistent as consistent as you can be as a small brewery mm-hmm. but also i don't live and die by consistency it's not number one on the list uh of of importance to me so again i think for the consumer if they're reading a review of qualified pills it probably is in the ballpark of like what they're reading but to me, I feel like the the changes are very are are more profound. Uh, so I I think to the consumer they are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be a really tuned in consumer that drinks a lot of our beer and is like really like getting into the like the subtleties of some of our more subtle beers like the lagers to to actually be like oh you know this batch is like a little bit more like Nilla wafer. <laughs> going on or you know this batch has like a you know more more black tea and less like kind of like lemon herb or something like that uh which like i said i i usually i'm 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 all my whole life is is like living these beers but I think only a few consumers. I think they are consistent our beers okay. but I don't really I wasn't saying that they yeah. weren't but like no, it, it's, yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I feel like it's all about the tw- the tweaking for me. It's uh, and sometimes I make a tweak and I'm like, oh, you know, it, it either didn't make a difference or you know what, I didn't really like that tweak. Or sometimes I make a tweak and I say, you know what, that's going to be the process going forward. Like we're making a change starting today, and I like that, and so we're going to continue doing that. Sometimes we'll do it for like six months, and then I'll say, you know what, let's let's like revert back to something. So it's. I feel like that's where I derive more most of the uh it is creative, right? It 
but yeah. it's it's kind of like my it's done with beers that are so simple like a beer like palatine pills there's nothing to it like recipe wise mm-hmm. it's a classic german beer it's just like one malt two hops and a very clean yeast but i'm very excited by lager fermentations especially because the fermentations are so cold and long that it's you have so many options in the cellar it's like the really whereas i feel like ale brewing is more set it forget it mm-hmm. you know you knock out at whatever 66 degrees set the jackets for a 68 all right i'll check on it next week it's probably going to taste like the way i expect it to whereas lagers i feel like i'm still like throwing curveballs regularly um which is cool i find very i'm like on the on the edge of my seat so to speak that's exciting though and 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 you mentioned earlier, so you guys are two years old now at this point, uh, and you mentioned that you're, you're, you call yourself a small brewery, but yeah. how, how, wait, how do you quantify that? How small? Um, I mean, we, we have a, a 20 hectoliter system, and we're only brewing two to three times a week. Uh, so, I mean, I would consider us still a small brewery. Um, and also... I feel like growth for us, like, I think growth is if you're just cranking out IPAs and selling cans right out of your tasting room, got to do something with that cash. You got to like grow, grow, grow. And we're not making those beers, but also it's, it's because I don't, I want to grow very slowly and methodically and kind of like chip away at a, at a niche. Um, and that's kind of important to me, and that's kind of why we why we set about doing this, because it, it's just no fun making the same the same beers that everyone else is making. As much as I like drinking like a citra mosaic, like a well made citra mosaic hazy IPA, I don't. If I was stuck making those to pay to pay our loans off or whatever, I'd be kind of sad about that. And I didn't start a brewery to. To, to, do that. to do that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't start a brewery to do that. So it's like I, I started a brewery to like kind of execute a very specific vision. And I find that very like gratifying. And also I find it a lot of fun. It's, there's, create, there's creativity in, in everything. And as you mentioned, even just like the tasting room, mm-hmm. trying to do something different. It's like, what don't I like about other, like the current, like kind of the current beer culture that we're in right now? What don't I like about other people's tasting rooms that I go to and, and I'm like what would I do different and then trying to do it and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does and um, and sometimes you're like sometimes you're able to like actually make a difference like I feel like our foam our like very foam heavy pours is uh, I feel like we've had a we've kind of pushed that train forward uh, like in sort of the Pilsner Kell model of like the Milko pour and some of those others. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it's very European style. Yeah. Like, you know, if you go to Europe, it's, it's very typical in a lot of different countries, whether it's Belgium, Germany, Czech Republic. But like here, for some reason, you like go to places and you're just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, there's like no head or, 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 or you're getting in like a little taster glass and there, or there's like a half a finger ahead and it's very not, it's not sexy, you know, like, whereas when you put the effort through to get those pours, it's like, oh my, I, I sometimes I see those beers and I'm just like, oh my God, it looks so good. You know, you drink with your eyes first 
and then you're starting to see like other breweries do that, and I think that's that's great. That's uh, that sounds counterintuitive to me though, because I, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, how you distribute a lot to New York, and New yes. York is the city it is, and. Yeah. Uh, it is a very lager-centric town. You yes. know, a lot of the the big players are out of there. Obviously, you know, Stella rules the roost right now yeah. uh, in in Manhattan. Sending your lagers down there go go a long way. But people are used to seeing uh, the sixteen ounce shaker pint yeah. filled absolutely to the tippy tippy top with liquid because hey, I'm paying for a pint. I want a full pint kind of thing. Yeah. So when you have the people who are day tripping from the city who are coming up, mm-hmm. first of all, you're giving them quarter liters. That's yeah. that's it here. There's no. Uh, tasters, there's no flights. Yeah. It's just you get a quarter liter of, uh, of of what you want. But when you're giving them a more robust head, or yeah. you're giving them, you know, a, a, you know, a glass of foam, a, 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 as it were, yeah. um, that that sets you back in in the education realm, an, like another five steps from even where some of the hazy DDH uh, yeah. Citra Mosaic guys are. I think, like what I was referring to before, I think this also falls into that category you give uh, every beer we pour here we will do like a kind of like a multi-stage pour where we'll kind of like build that head up and it'll be like nice and like kind of have a almost like the top of the head is like a topography to it and it's it's dappled and it's it's uh, it comes always above the the rim of the glass but you give it to some. You, we give that to everyone for every single beer. Maybe ten percent of those people are, you know, they'll be like, "Why is it so foamy?" But then ninety percent, luckily, of those people are just like, "Wow, look at you know, like it's it kind of a, uh, what's the word for it?" I feel like for most people, they see that and they're like, "Wow, that's cool. That's it looks like a milkshake, right?" Like. Um, and they're delighted by it, and they're like, wow, this is different. I have never gotten a beer like this. This looks cool. Oh, wow. It's it's like the first couple sips are like uh, creamy, like a latte. But then maybe 10% of the people are like, what the fuck is this? I, you know, yeah. like, what is this? Why is this so foamy? And I think we, like, operate on that, on that ratio, like delighting 90% of the people and maybe 10% of the people are put off or confused, which is fine with me. Um, yeah. Because you have to be able to take that risk. It, it, it's and, and also, like I said, we're not trying to appeal to 100%. We're not trying to take the world over. We're just trying to chip away at a niche. And I feel like even a nice, a nice heady beer is part of that. It's just like part of the, the big picture that we're doing here. It, it, one of the limitations of audio is that people can't actually see you. And when you're talking about how you're filling the glasses of beer here, it was a mix of uh, Cheshire Cat Grin and, you know, Kid uh, on Christmas Morning with oh, the yeah. anticipation. Um, yeah. Oh, I get very excited about them. We, we had a, a photographer for the New York Times uh, here several months ago, and I was doing some, like, kind of, you know... Uh, I was doing some like really nice pours, like some insanely nice pours for her, and I was kind of getting giddy. And she, at one point, she looked at me like confused, and she was like, "Well, it's good to see that you're still having fun with it." And yeah, at that point, I was like, "Man, this woman thinks I'm crazy by getting so excited by pouring these like, like with a head that's sticking six inches out of the glass." Um, but there's also the sense of accomplishment, though, when 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 you're talking about some of the um, uh, 
paying attention to the loggers and mm-hmm. everything that's in the tank and that you, it's not just the set it and forget it. When, when the final result comes out and it's how you want it to be, yeah. there's... When I've talked to other lager brewers in the past, there, there's a greater sense of accomplishment, I think, that, that, that you guys have uh, than maybe somebody who's just doing, you know, the traditional mm-hmm. pale ales or the traditional, mm-hmm. you know, whatever's that are, that are not necessarily paint by number. I'm not d- diminishing what those guys do, but there mm-hmm. is, there's great risk that comes with these because there's flaws that can show up. There are uh, a thousand and one different things that could go wrong, and if one of them does, it's a, it's a, dumped batch or at least it probably should be yeah yeah they're hard to brew i mean there's no bones about it they're like stuff like the hellas we brew it's i get very kind of nervous going into brewing those beers uh because you like always have to be on your a game but yeah once i don't know like what's in the glass like for example the the heady pours we do it's that is an indicator of a well-fermented and well-cellared beer. And so whenever I see that, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very happy and delighted. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're nerve-wracking, man. I, <laughs> but that's part of why I love them. That's part of why, what makes it exciting for me. But so for all of the nerve-wracking, though, and for, for, for all of that, you told me earlier, uh, I never want to blow anyone's mind with any of my beers. Yeah. I, I think it's an unreal expectation as a beer consumer to drink a mind-blowing beer every day. Or I, I, there's a quote from some like, some some wine guy. I can't remember how it went, but it was something like you can't go to the symf- you can't go to the symphony every night or yeah. something like that. And, and it's it's kind of applicable to drinking wine or drinking beer. Um, you can't expect for like fireworks and like rays from the heavens from every beer you drink and every once in a while when you have a beer like that where you're like where did these flavors come from like this is wild this is kind of mind-blowing i'm blown away it's amazing it's cool to drink a beer like that but i don't really um i don't really desire to drink a beer like that every day i i like a more easy drinking like for lack of a better word, like easy beer, a beer that's just like comforting. It's almost like comfort food, you know? It's like comforting. It's, uh, it, it gives you a good feeling by drinking it. And so it's not quite as like loud or like kind of like, like you're not dazed after you're drinking it, after you drink a beer. You're more just like, oh, this is so nice. And you have a nice conversation with friends and it kind of like, uh, is just a normal part of everyday life, and uh, yeah. yeah. How much? How much of it, though, do you think is in the actual glass, or is it in the drinkers' heads? And and I'll preface that by saying that you spent three years working at Hill Farmstead, where I mean that is nirvana for so many beer drinkers, and yeah. I, I've seen grown men like run Weep. out of their car before <laughs> okay. it's even in park to, to yeah. run to the tasting room. I mean, it, yeah. it's, you know, guys who, who have never run a day in their life like me, you know, are, <laughs> are lumbering towards, towards the, the tasting room because they just, they're, they're so excited. And then it's, it's Instagram and it's, oh my God, and yeah. it's bragging rights and it's everything else in between. And, and, and the beers are great. Yeah. But like how much of it is, because it, it sounds like what you're doing here or what you're trying to do is a little counter to 
what you might have experienced by watching consumers there? A little bit, but I feel like a brewery like Hill Farmstead makes a lot of super quiet, nuanced, like really good everyday drinking beers too. Like a beer like Walden, they're mm-hmm. like low ABV, kind of blonde, dry hopped thing. They're Mary, the pills. It's uh, even some of the saisons, like the the you know, like the Arthur or whatever. Those, I mean, working there especially for me, I was very inspired by those beers. And that's almost like why, like working there, I'm like, oh, why do we need to, like, why do we need to make double IPA and, like, Imperial Stout? Why don't we just, like, focus on these? And that's what I'm kind of trying to do with with our breweries, making, like, all super drink, like, high drinkability, low ABV beers. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the whole culture of, of those kind of, like, big, heady beers. Um, I don't know. It's it, there's something about them. I don't know that that really jives with a certain consumer. Um, that I think we were we were having a conversation before we started the podcast that no one's beating down any doors for for pills cans. Yeah. And uh, even every once in a while, we'll have a customer show up in in our. They'll drive in. They'll park in the back like two hours before we open. I'll go out there and I'll say, you can like you don't have to like you can just come back when we open like it's not that kind of brewery right you know <laughs> yeah i'm like you should go like go get some breakfast or get 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 yourself a coffee yeah or there's take a diner a down the road yeah yeah um <laughs> go, go enjoy life yeah go enjoy it yeah. and then you can just get here when we open have a beer and it's gonna be it's gonna be great yeah, don't, don't yeah. worry it's, it's like you have to like counsel people in the parking lot it's yeah. okay yeah it's but i don't i don't know what it is about those like bigger more heady beers that kind of uh spawns that consumer behavior um because you're not doing a lot of big abv beers you were telling me before and i was, I was looking yeah. you know on on your wall it's about three seven to five two that you have on offer yeah. uh, on draft right now yeah uh but you were saying that uh, earlier uh 4.5 percent abv <clears throat> To five and a half percent ABV is your sweet zone. Yeah, I love. I personally, <coughs> I personally love drinking beers that are between four and a half and five percent and five and a half percent ABV. They're just like, what's the appeal? What's the both making and drinking for you? Um, they're for for making. They're actually like. To make a beer with a lot of subtlety, just like we're, we're like we were talking before about brewing lagers and subtle beers, it's harder to make a complex yet subtle beer. So like that's kind of a challenge that I'm excited about. Um, and when it works out in the best case scenario, it's always really uh, I'm I'm excited by that. But then for drinking, it's just uh, you know it it drinks like a real classic beer it's in that four and a half to five and a half percent abv you get nice crispness but you actually can can achieve a beer with some nice plush body um and yeah i i just feel like and also you can have a couple of them like i i like drinking beer so i i like to at the end of the day have two maybe mm-hmm. even three beers and i like to uh 
feel normal the next day. So I, I, I just love that, that zone, both in terms of drinkability, complexity, um, and then also like not getting too wasted. I, I, I actually don't really like the feeling of, of uh, getting wasted, <laughs> you know? If you drink like a half of a pint of double IPA, you like feel yourself, you feel your like head start to hum and you're like, whoa. Um, so you're doing a lot of lagers, you're doing um, uh, a lot of barrel aged uh, beers, um, I guess in the, you'd say in the Cezanne family. Yeah, we call them country beers. They're kind of like modern, mixed culture fermented. <laughs> Farmhouse-inspired beers. Uh, and a lot of uh, uh, fruit beers as well. When we yeah. were walking through the back, you have uh, yeah. a Creek and a Grisette, or, or a, a, a Flanders Red and a Grisette in the back that have yeah. Montmorency cherries in them right now. And you're saying you're just brewing with rhubarb not too long ago. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of that cool stuff. Yeah. When Before you opened, you had gone on the record saying, uh, we're not going to do an IPA. Have, Did I say that? Yeah, I, I've read that. You know, really? I, yeah, right. I feel like I've read that. Huh. Or, you know, maybe I'm just making it up, and now it's out yeah. there. You know, or that maybe, think, maybe that I, you yeah. wouldn't, but that you know, but that it wasn't your intention. Yeah, that might have been it. It wasn't. It wasn't no. a definitive. No. And you've stuck true to that, though. Yeah, yeah. We. Uh, I mean, especially nowadays, I think there's so much IPA out there that I don't. I mean. If you're a consumer and you want IPA, like we're we're trying to cultivate a certain consumer here, and uh, there's plenty of IPA to to be had, just not here. So, uh, yeah, shout out to our customers. We have awesome customers. <laughs> Honestly, I really like we're we've seen it build over the past couple of years. Like our, we just have amazing customers that are like I said, like they're more down to earth, more about. Uh, like having a beer kind of like complement their lives as opposed to like run their lives. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the whole IPA thing. I mean, if you were going to do one or you've obviously yeah. thought about it, yeah. I mean, what, oh, yeah. what route would you go? <laughs> um, so I have been thinking about brewing. Maybe I might brew it this year, but brewing a Chico, a Chico IPA. Does the line form to the left or to the right outside? People, nobody's showing up for it. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares about this beer. Uh, that's what I say. Actually, we just released last month a, like a, a we canned a Kolsch, and before we canned it, I was like, nobody, nobody cares about this beer. Yeah. And then we released it, and actually, I was very surprised by how many, how like into it people were. People. People loved it, and uh, and then we also made a beer called Kinda Classic, which is a like modern, like Belgian saison. It's monoculture. It's just one yeast, like my favorite saison yeast. It's very there's nothing to it. It's it's just a, a simple beer with a with one very eccentric yeast. And before we sold that too, I was like nobody cares about this beer, but there's just enough people who care about a beer like that. There's, it's a nice niche, you know? Um, and I think if you do a beer like that well, like people will take notice and then you can grow it from there. Um, but yeah, I, back to the IPA thing, it's uh, I kind of, I have an interest in brewing a Chico IPA with some, with some hops that not that many people use, but are still kind of fruity and, and assertive and, and a little tropical. Uh, 
that hopefully enough people would like. Maybe 10% of the people would be put off or confused, and then 90% of the people would say, hey, that's great. <laughs> so the interesting thing, though, is that if you're saying right off the bat, you know, uh, you want to do an IPA with Chico, which is, which is traditional, and then yes. you started to describe some of these other beers that you're making, like a Kolsch or mm -hmm. a lot of these lagers that are very simple. You know, they have a very yeah. simple grain bill. Uh, you're using mostly or almost exclusively uh, old world hops, uh, as, uh, as it were. Yeah. For, for the lagers. For the yeah. lagers, yeah. yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're almost staying in your lane, as it were. And, and, and I think the, the, yeah. the, the idea that so many brewers have these days is, oh, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to speed up. We're going to slow down. Yeah. We're going you know, to take the very nature of a culture, and we're going to turn it on its side. And we're gonna, yeah. you, you seem to have this sort of very zen-like, yeah. you, you don't have anything to prove except making the beers the way that they've always been made. Yeah, I think if we made an IPA, I think people, hopefully our customer or our consumer that we've begun to cultivate would be interested in trying it and then hopefully they would try it and say, oh, you know what, that tastes like a Suarez Family Brewery IPA. Like, this is part of the, this falls within their wheelhouse. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's just kind of what, what we do, you know, it's a... Yeah, crisp, delicate, dry, nice texture. Um, so I, yeah, it's not a definite that we're going to brew that, but I think we would put our, our subtle twist on it, or not even a twist. Our, yeah. We would put our, our imprint on it, or I think it would make sense to our consumer. When, when You've been talking a lot about consumer, and when you're talking about you know, cultivating these relationships... Does the beer do that for you? Do you have to do that? Is there a, a, a mix between the two? Because there's a lot of places that just, oh, we're going to let the beer you know, speak for itself. And then there's other places that are personality-driven. Um, mm -hmm. Have you found a sweet spot on how you want to cultivate the relationship between your family brewery mm -hmm. and the people who support you? Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a blend. I think like the beers can speak for themselves. They, they all have a a similar vibe or like you can taste that like the the finger the fingerprint so to speak of our brewery uh and after you taste a few oh wow these all like they're all you know they have a a drinkability a crispness a nice you know an aromaticity that that is even if it's you know mixed culture farmhouse ale or or pale ale or lager they're all they all fall in in our wheelhouse, but I also feel like, you know, especially if you come to visit us in our tasting room, I think it's a, a great place to enjoy a beer, and, and we serve a really nice beer um, out of clean lines, out of good glass, with good foam. But we're also, I basically, almost every time we're open, we're here hanging out and talking to you know talking to people if, if people I think it's very important for a small brewery to have like that customer interface there was somebody from actually I had a visiting brewery uh, a guy from another brewery here just this past weekend and I like told him a story or maybe he was here and like some guy came up and and this guy was like oh you're, you're still doing that like you're still fielding like you know, like customers who are like you have to talk. Or yeah, actually, 
it was, uh, I got a text. I was upstairs. I got a text from somebody at the bar. They said, oh, so-and-so, this guy from Chicago is here. He brought you some beer. He wants to talk to you. All right, I'll be right down. So I came, shook his hand, you know, hung out with him for five minutes. And this other brewer was like, oh, you're still doing that? And I said, it's actually... And you said it in sort of like a dismissive way? He was like, I, it, or more or like, like I can't believe you're, yeah. you're still making time for that. But I actually find it very important. And at least for like the kind of our culture here for our brewery, I think it's an important part of what we do. It's a, I always say owning a business is like being a politician. You know, you have to, you have to watch what you say. And then you also... Uh, you have to uh, shake hands and, and kiss babies and all that stuff. And, uh, you know. Yeah, but it, it, different from a politician, though. I mean, you don't seem like you're just doing things to, to please people. You're, you're doing things. I, I mean, you strike me as a man of conviction when it comes to making beer. Yeah. And it's kind of like sharing our passion with the, with the customer, you know, like shop talk about a certain batch of qualify and being like, you know, if somebody's really interested in, and talking finer details, I'm, I'm happy for that because, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, excited by especially the, the finer details of, of our beers. And, uh, yeah, I like to kind of, yeah, I like to make myself available to, like, to chat with people and kind of uh, geek out a little bit, so to speak. Um, and I feel like, certain customers are have a great experience here because and even I'll, I'll hear it from other people who went to other breweries they'll say oh you know I went to this brewery and oh I was there at the end of the day and like the owner came out with me and we had a couple beers and you know we just like hung out with the, you know and, and, and it's a personal experience that you, ne- you yeah. can't necessarily get yeah. yeah and this is I look at the tasting room where it's hospitality you know i it's an important part of the puzzle and uh i think that goes we operate on word of mouth mostly you know we don't pay for advertising i look as at our draft beer as marketing that's a guy who works for a magazine by the way that hurts to to hear that but you know (laughs) that's fine no (laughs) um but i feel like our slow and plodding growth and it's all fueled on word of mouth so I just try, we try to be very hospitable and we try to give people a good experience here. Well, and that's having the, the, the word family in your name as well. Yeah. I mean, it, the larger you get, yeah. the harder it is, you know, when you, when you, yeah. you know. Exactly. I, people were like, people you know, ask. Pepperidge Farm isn't a family company anymore. Yeah. yeah. People ask, like, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, it's not surprising, but they say, oh, would you ever sell this to like Budweiser for, you know, whatever. $500 million, I say I, we, we kind of can't because I could never sell Suarez Family Brewery, the name. You right. know, like it's basically if you're drinking a Suarez Family Brewery, you know the beer was made by me. It's got our fingerprint on it. Um, maybe we could sell the building and all our assets, but I feel like the Suarez Family Brewery brand, like either maybe our offspring will continue it on, which I'm, is always an option. It's, that's a cool prospect to think about, or it just like dies with me. 
And, you know, so I, I had Tommy Arthur from Lost Abbey on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this very thing of, is there a natural life cycle of a brewery? There's some places who open up and they say, you know, we want to be around for 600 years. We want to be around for, for a thousand years. And Tommy and I were talking about how, in some cases, like, you could just be a one and done generation brewery. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll only do it for 10 years. Yeah. Maybe my wife and I had... Our 10-year anniversary, we'll look at each other and just say, like, let's do something else. That's, that's and a that's very, okay, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's I've, a- I've actually been freed by that. This is a recent revelation that I've had. Um, like, when we first started for the first year, year and a half, and even especially before we started the brewery, I was like, this has to work out. I'm going to be ruined if it doesn't work out. And it's, you know, just so... Uh, consumed, consumed with success or failure. Yeah, yeah. and... Only recently have I been like, if for some reason this has to shut down tomorrow, I'll just find something else to do. And uh, what led to that? I don't know. <laughs> I just this all feeling normal. Okay. I think it's just like a normalcy. We've like day in day out like all this craziness. It's very crazy opening a brewery, but now it's just starting to feel normal. And uh, and also some of that is is being like uh, this is working. You know, it's, you know, there's cash in the bank. We're buying things and and doing small expansions and buying fun toys, uh, you know, like fun barrels and stuff. And and it's working. Yeah. So I feel like that has kind of put put the mind at ease. But uh, also it just becoming normal. Uh, So... Yeah, I, although, you know, who knows? Maybe it will go on for another generation. Yeah. It's always an option. As we start to wrap up, um, I, I do want to talk just about ingredients and just process just a little bit on um, what qualifies as a fun barrel for you. Oh, um, well, we just got some port barrels in, which is a, uh, they, they were super high quality, um, very aromatic for uh, I'd, I'd love for a brewer to just once be like yeah you know they're kind of shitty barrels oh, but like you there's, know like, yeah. there's plenty of <laughs> shitty barrels out there it's, but everybody's always talking about like, super high quality yeah. top of the line I would just love for somebody to just be like you know they're mediocre but we'll do what we can with them oh man I've, I've <laughs> uh, trust me I mean I could go I luckily have not since we started the brewery here have not had any like complete and utter shitty barrels but I bet you you've worked with them in the past yeah yeah. and I think if you asked a lot of brewers you could get some good shitty barrel stories sure uh, or shitty equipment stories you know a barrel is a piece of equipment basically but port Um, is one of the things that yeah yep and we also we just put a down payment on some uh, 10 hectoliter uh, like horizontal casks that are it's a half batch for us so it's like a it's like a small fooder. I think the Italians call them boti. Okay. But, uh, but they're horizontal. They're horizontal, so they're meant to mimic the shape of an a- of just a regular wine barrel, but they're yeah. all valved up. We got, uh, there's a full belly drain valve. There's a manway on the front, manway on top. Uh, you can put a blow off on them if you want. So uh, That's cool. Who's making those? Uh, they, they're coming from Italy. Cool. Um, and we might, and I actually got an acacia barrel, which I'm excited about. Uh, we got we got three of them, and we're gonna we're gonna buy three more. We're gonna plan to like pyramid stack them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but we got we started off with two and they allowed me to choose what forest in uh france the french oak came from so wow. that that was fun i got to like really research that's the, like a the cool different... perk of the job yeah yeah it was fun i got to like for two days two almost it seemed like two full days researching the french oak forest and what the characteristics are of the wood that comes from them and then also what, did, been... what did you select um, like I what, 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 what Allier, uh, Allier is, um, it's known for like very tight grain and also a very like refined tannin structure. And then the other one we did, we did actually a mix of, a of a couple different like central France. Okay. Um, and then we got an acacia barrel, which, uh, I've been reading a lot about. Apparently they use them a lot for like Austrian white wines. They're very low tannin compared to oak and very subtle so i think they would you know it's hard to find a wine that's like that calls out on the label this is acacia yeah. barrel but uh um i figured just from reading and trying to do some research it seems like it would like suit our beers well what, what style like which which of your beers any of the country beers okay. like 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 something like 100 feet north it's that kind of like low abv wheat driven kind of grisette ish beer yeah. Um, there have been a couple batches where I'm like, this is maybe a little too like toasted marshmallow, oaky, like bit, like oak is a big flavor. Um, it certainly can be. Yeah. Yeah. And even French oak, even light toast, it can, it can, for a very subtle beer, it can kind of like smother some other complexities. So, uh, hopefully these acacias are good. I don't I figure we might as well try one and then if we like them, we'll just buy a bunch more. Um. But, you know, it's always about playing and introducing fun new stuff. We were talking earlier about 100 Feet North with um, uh, the Montmorency cherries that you're, that you're adding to it right now. And yeah. then you mentioned rhubarb as well. Yeah. Uh, being up here in this part of New York State where there is a lot of fresh produce, there's a yeah. lot. Uh, this time of year. It all, yeah. comes, it all comes, becomes available at the, around July 4th. <laughs> so... How far in advance are you planning out some of those beers? And then is it just you have to kill yourself over the summer months because everything is fresh and then it, it kind of comes a, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. We, like I said, it all comes fast and furious. Um, month of July, even August, we're getting fruit in, processing it, cleaning it, um, pushing, you know, uh, hitting it with beer or we freeze some of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's like an added. Complex, it's an added wrinkle to the production schedule. Um, because you also have to be somewhat flexible because it's also when things yeah. are harvested as opposed to when you want yeah, them to. Yeah, and, and you're at the mercy of, of the weather and the grower. Yeah. Um, but also I think that's another, like, I don't have anything against, like, beer made with puree. Mm -hmm. I, I think puree makes a great beer. Um, like that Oregon aseptic fruit puree stuff. Uh, I do have something against uh, like extracts. That stuff's the just syrups nasty. And, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that weird sweet syrup stuff. But uh, I feel like it's just we use or we have used thus far only super local whole fruit. And I feel like it's kind of bringing it into that wine territory. It's like a, when you drink one of our fruit beers, it's a taste of columbia county new york you know um or it's a taste of july 4th 2018 a good montmorency harvest you know it, it kind of takes you to a place 
And you can tell a story with those beers as well. Totally. And, and for me, it's actually very fulfilling to sometimes we'll go walk the fields. I'll taste the cherries. Oh, wow. Like actually, man, our, our, one of our cherry growers, apparently like we had all this hot, dry weather and the sweet cherries got really ripe and they were nice. And then they're like the day before the U pick season opened, it like was like torrential downpour. So all the sweet cherries like kind of split at the top. They all like opened up. So they they you they opened the orchard for U pick, but the grower was like, I'm I'm not gonna have my staff pick them for wholesale because they're not they're not really uh, pristine fruit right, looking yeah. fruit. But then I was there last week, and you go in the sweet cherry. Uh, the sweet cherry orchard and some of that fruit starting to turn into like dried cherries on the, some on of the, the fruits, yeah. it's like raisins on the tree and they're so good. I kind of, I'm like, you have half, the Cheshire cat thing going on. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like really excited by, by some of this cool, uh, fruit. Um, but I'm half tempted to just like get a small crew together. Cause he's going to let that fruit just, 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 just rot on the, on the yeah. tree. Yeah. yeah. But I'm kind of like half, if we find the time, I want to find a way to like pick those dried fruits because they taste like honey and like fruit leather and uh, they have a cool like, there's just like, like even, you know, like a cherry, it's like kind of juicy on the inside, but this it's like almost like it's syrup or syrup yeah. in, in this like little dried cherry case and uh, you know, you can't buy that. You, you can only stumble upon this opportunity by being out there in the fields and talking to the grower and uh so maybe we'll do that this year i I know you won't live or die by this by any means but uh, on behalf of everybody who's listening right now (laughs) we almost need you to go and do that um i I can guarantee it'd be like really cool beer um (laughs) but it's 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 uh finding the time to to do that i feel like the the whole owning a brewery it's it's a big one big time juggle and uh we're trying to do a lot of cool stuff and that's just one and that's one that you know they pop up like that every once in a while and you got to take advantage of it when it does that yeah, yeah yeah i we might i think like this time next month it'll all like the entire orchard will just be raisins and you can yeah yeah and and i even had a friend say like he's like i'll I'll come. I'll come back. Yeah, here, I, I'm not. I'm not imagining it'll be hard to get people to to volunteer yeah. uh, to to help out with something uh, like that. I, yeah. Um, yeah. As, so as, the, as, yeah. The fruit thing. It's it's. Uh, I am super happy with the fact that we're here in a zone where we can use that fruit and have a. We actually like have a relationship with the growers, and I almost feel like I have a relationship with the fruit, so to speak, too. Um, which is very different from what I'm used to making beer. Cause with beer it's, you know, day in, day out, it's kind of like uh, process driven and all that. But the fruit it's, I don't know. It fits into the family theme. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. As we start to wrap up a uh, question I've been asking folks, <clears throat> excuse me, is what's your hope for beer? There's so much mm-hmm. chaos going on in the, in the industry right now uh, among drinkers. There's, you know, uncertainty, there's, there's trends that come and go, uh, you know, like in a, in a flash of lightning, uh, as it were. Um, but for somebody who's been doing this for a while, as somebody who has skin in the game, as it were, what do you hope happens with beer? Um, man, that's a big question, too. Um, 
we don't have as much yeah. time as we did in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so basically, I have this kind of like obsession with beer culture, and uh, I was referring to you before we started the podcast is that like we have kind of a very quickly paced changing culture in this in the United States and even other countries looking to our beer culture as a very new and innovative and exciting place. And I think that's cool. Like we kind of operate within that. We're part of that. But I also think the beer culture needs to be, it needs to mature, so to speak. Like I feel like, and I think a lot of this will, will come once there's more beer on the marketplace and once the consumer matures too. But um, I kind of love traveling to Europe and going to little nice beer hall in Germany or a little Trappist brewery in, in, in Belgium or a place in Czech Republic. And it's just the beer is more like woven into everyday life. And it's kind of like it ceases to be special, mm-hmm. like which which. I don't know. It sounds bad, but... It's an addendum to life. Yeah. I almost feel like it needs to just be a normal part of everyday life for everyone. I, I've, I've heard it said by a few different people. It's like uh, craft beer just needs to become beer. You know, it's, it's I've just... I've been banging that drum for years. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it's just... Uh, and I just love that whole like European tradition of... Uh, you know, just going to a whatever a cafe and you have some lunch, you go with a few friends, you knock back a few like sensibly sensible strength beers, and it just like the beer adds to a good evening and it adds to like camaraderie and all that. It sounds a little cheesy, but I really do find it that's what I like yearn for. And that's kind of like some of the things that some of like the decisions we make for the brewery or especially like for the tasting room are to try to like, to try to advance that agenda um, is to try to, uh, yeah, make a, make a kind of make a change in our beer culture to try to make it just like a more uh, sensible and less chaotic one. Um, and you know, I feel like that this gets thrown around all the time too. It's just beer. Whereas like before I owned a brewery, I, I, I would be like, yeah, it's just beer. It's it like, whatever. Yeah. It's just beer. But now that I own a brewery, I actually kind of can't say that. Cause I'm like, no, no, it's like my whole livelihood. This is all <laughs> I, my this future. is, yeah. yeah, it's my future, but it's also, I, I live and breathe this. So like it is all encompassing like uh, for me, but I want to convey to the consumer that this is just something tasty that you put on your tongue. Mm-hmm. It's just flavored water that ferments, which is really cool, but you just put it on your tongue. You just wet your tongue for a couple seconds. It goes, it glides down your throat. Hopefully you should be like, ah, you, I always, with all of our beers, I've always said after every sip, no matter what style, it always has to have that ah, afterwards. And then hopefully you go back to chilling with your friends and, you know, maybe sharing a meal. And uh, 
that's kind of my my perfect beer drinking scenario that I wish some people could just like come back down to earth. I've said that in other interviews too. It's like kind oh, of well. Thanks for making yeah. me feel special. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I was saying like you know I I want to bring the beer drinker back down to earth. Yeah, is like a, just have a more. Yes, the beer the beer needs to be high quality. The beer needs to be good. You do, it does have to give you a good feeling. You mm-hmm. know, like it's a visceral drinking a beer. It's, it has to like kind of like speak to your lizard brain and yeah. say, "Oh, this is good, nice." Uh, but it you also we also need to just come back down to earth a bit and kind of start living life and having beer be just an everyday, just a normal part of everyone's life. Dan Suarez, who has it better than you? Uh, plenty of people. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Suarez is the co-owner, co-founder, brewer here at the Suarez Family Brewery in the Hudson Valley. Nice. In I'm New glad York you State. didn't say brewmaster. That's okay. Yeah. Well, it's a, that's a designation that I didn't yeah. think that you, yes. you, you've earned. Yeah. Yet. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, You're absolutely right. I don't see a diploma on the wall. Yes, exactly. Nice. Uh, thanks for sitting down and, and doing this, uh, this interview. With yeah, me. no, not a problem. It was fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have questions that you want to ask uh, guests you'd like to hear or just suggestions overall, you can reach me at John Hall, J O H N H O L L at beer and brewing.com. You can also go to beer and where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can read more about Dan's breweries, uh, Dan's brewery, other breweries, uh, how to be a better home brewer, and more. You can also follow the conversation along with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And Dan, thanks again for the hospitality here. Not a problem. I had fun. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrewing.